Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Saturday, Saturday edition of the DNVR Avalanche podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Head on our DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code DNVR and start getting your free bets. Makeup show today from uh, our Monday show that we missed. Uh, Jesse, AJ, Megan. This was supposed to be Rudo's. uh, He was supposed to miss this show because he was on vacation. So we were like, you know what? Get that vacation day in. Uh, we got you covered. How you guys doing? Uh, AJ, I know you were saying the weather's uh, beautiful up there in the peg. How's uh, how's everything going otherwise? Yeah, I mean, uh, the weather's good. Some of the other stuff uh, going on up here could be a little bit better. But, you know, um, things are fine. Solid. Megan, everything going well? Yeah, I'm watching the Sweden-Czech game right now. Oh, Sweden- nice. Is that what you were... Okay, is that when we were talking about appropriate you... face responses to sad things we were talking about? It's because of something that happened in the game. Uh, we were when we were all just talking right before this, you were looking off at something, making some faces. I was like, is someone walking by? They really disapprove of what AJ and I are saying. Watching the game, that makes more sense. Uh, well, you guys, we're, we're trudging through these summer pods here. What about? Five weeks till we get some games and stuff to talk about. We'll have some activity coming up here in about a month, but uh, we're just going to kind of keep uh, chugging along what we talked about yesterday. We're trying our hardest to keep this to like relevant hockey based conversations. Uh, we love everyone here at DNVR and all the content they make, but we're trying to avoid doing tailgate food drafts for as long as possible. Uh, so we're gonna, we were talking about it a little bit earlier this week, kind of in passing. Uh, I saw a couple accounts talking about it on Twitter, and we thought this would be an interesting conversation for today's uh, Saturday pod. The Avalanche are just about two months removed from a Stanley Cup championship, one of the more dominant runs that we have seen uh, really in the modern era, not just the last 10 years. Uh, one of the best wire-to-wire seasons uh, for a team to win a cup going back little ways here. So we thought we'd take a look at how do these, not necessarily how exactly does this team stack up, but where do they rank? There's been a lot of really good teams. That was another thing we were talking about before we got going here. You forget that there were some really, really good Stanley Cup teams uh, here in the last decade. So we thought we'd take a look at those uh, this last 10 years. We actually are going to make it 12 years. We pushed it back to 2010 uh, just because that was the start of the the Hawks kind of dynasty there, uh, the Tim Thomas Bruins team uh, definitely are are in those those two teams are in that conversation. So really, we're going to go back twelve years here uh, and just take a look at who we think are maybe our our top five. Uh, we had everyone, all three of us, put together a list of our top five, and we're going to uh, just kind of run through them, have some good conversation, reminisce because uh, not only were there some great teams, there were some great performances. Uh, so, unless either do either of you have any objections or anything you want to get off your chest before we get going on this, I would just like to say that I learned the other day uh, while learning about the history of the four-minute mile uh, that, which was a thing that I didn't realize how rarely it has been done in human history, but it's oh, only really? been it's only been accomplished about sixteen hundred times. Which, 
which you think, wow, that's a lot. But when you consider that approximately 6,000 people <laughs> have climbed Mount Everest in history, you yeah. put those two into perspective and you're like, huh. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there was a guy, there was a guy who did not break uh, the four minute mile. Uh, he got to, I believe, 406, <sighs> but, uh, which was the world record at the time. But he had actually uh, been in a fire as a kid, and his brother died in that fire, and he suffered permanent damage to the point where doctors told him he would never walk again. Oh. And he actually was in more pain walking than running. So a lot like Forrest Gump, everywhere that that guy went, he was running and uh, ended up becoming a professional runner and almost broke up. Almost became one of the first guy, first people ever to break the four minute mile, and I thought that was a fascinating story. That's, I think his name was Gregory Cunningham. I think. Dude, that's wild. I, I yeah, guess... it stuck out. It's it stood out to me because all these other guys were like, like normal. I guess like they were just dudes, right? right and right. this guy has like this horrific backstory. Doctors yeah, told him he wouldn't even walk again, and then he goes after the four minute mile, which. At the time, and, and this was back in the 1800s, by the way, when oh, wow. I have no idea what kind of shoes they were wearing, but well, and, I don't and there's no they were very good. Right. He wasn't getting much like medical treatment either. It was like a, like they threw some dust in his face and like, hey, sorry, we can't do anything else. That and I don't know that uh, the running conditions that they had, I, they certainly were not running on the tracks that, that we have in yeah. high schools these days. Yeah. Great point. Uh, so it, uh, when you consider that he was doing this in the 1800s and the late 1800s, but also that he was told he would never walk again. I thought this was just an incredible story. It's It's been in the back of my head for a couple of days. And I really, I felt like, uh, you know, this is a lot better of a fun fact than Macarena facts. <laughs> no, that's, uh, what were you saying, Megan? I missed Macarena facts, so I <laughs> just have a lot of questions, but this was a good fact. Probably better than Macarena facts. Yeah, more than likely. Uh, to get within six seconds of it, that would be tough. That'd be a tough pill to swallow to get to four oh six and not be able to make it. Like, I'm sure, in, like in your head, you're like six seconds. I can be, I can do six seconds. But yeah, so nobody, nobody had ever accomplished it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the four minute mile, but nobody had ever accomplished it. Roger Bannister became the first guy to ever do it, and his record lasted like six months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I was actually talking about that with someone. Uh, oh no. I was talking about with, with, uh, RK and Andre, they were talking about, I'm sure RK's talked to you about this, AJ, how he thinks more teams need to do like paraphrasing, like trick plays down the, down the field, uh, in football, you know, like run deep crossing routes after your receivers already caught the ball and run laterals and all kinds of stuff. And he was saying, he's like, I, I, I would love to see someone do it and be successful. And I said, well, because he was like, wouldn't that just be so cool to see? I was like, yeah, it'd be really cool the first time. But once someone does it successfully once, everyone starts doing it. And that's just the way that like sports and athletics are. Because there's another, there's something kind of like that. I don't, I think it's for swimming, but it's something similar to that four minute mile where no one had ever done it. One person did it. And now there's been like 10 different record breakers and it's just, it's just so funny. Yeah. Uh, oh, and now the, like the modern day record, uh, I think it was uh, three, like three forty six, <laughs> and that's, and, and that was done in 1999. That's like, so, that's like a full sprint for a mile. That's like sprinting four laps around the track. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Also, no woman has ever accomplished it. Uh, I think the closest they've ever come was 409. Wow, that's surprising. I, 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 mean, I, I also was like, are you for real with that? Like, yeah, I did not. I, I struggled on that one. I know there's been some, because that really is more of a, the four-minute mile, that is more of like a sprint. I, can, I know there have been some like really great, you know, I'm not super ingrained in the running culture, but I know like from Olympics and, and qualifiers and stuff, there's been some really great women's distance runners. Um, wow. That is surprising. Yeah. I, well, and, and what's weird is that like the mile used to be like a big, 
like thing in running mm -hmm. and now if like you go to the if you watch the olympics there's no mile event on that <laughs> like it's you know they have like the 100 meters the 200 meters and then you get into like the distance ones and you get like there's like the 10,000 meters which takes like 25 minutes or whatever and you're like yeah, yeah, yeah. okay like whatever um but there's no like okay guys race for a, a mile and stop <laughs> i actually so that would be my favorite event just to watch the just to watch the mile just because you have to, it'd be this perfect combination between dead sprint and not dead sprint. I would just, I would just like, uh, oh, 1600 is the mile. Okay. I guess, oh, I guess I'm oh, incorrect. Uh, anyway, um, it was like, it's, it's weird because running the mile used to be like a really big accomplishment. And now it's just, I think running in general, like prerequisite, yeah. track and field events are things that we pay attention to when the Olympics roll around and not mm -hmm. like year round. So there's this girl I went to high school with who Eleanor Fulton, she got like a, like a full right. ride to go Put her on blast. Well, well, no, she, she got like, a, she got a full ride to go run D one. And I remember when she was graduating, there was a lot of, you know, kind of chatter that she had like the potential to be like an Olympic mm -hmm. level runner. And, and she never got there, but I, 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 every couple of years, when you start hearing about like Olympic qualifiers or world championships, I'll, I'll do a quick ghoul of her name to see if she's in there. But um, I know she ran D one all four years. Um, I was, I was really hoping that, yeah, she, she'd make it. Cause I, I, I always loved track and field the Olympics. It had been cool to have a former classmate there. Uh, let's get into, we're not talking the Olympics, but we are talking champions. Uh, the best Stanley cup champions over the last 12 years, decade plus two. Um, there have been some really good teams. There have been some teams that you look back on and it's like, wow, you really lucked out that year. Uh, Megan, Looking at you, Blues. Yeah, yeah. Woo. Uh, Megan, I'm going to start with you. Who did you have at number five on your list? I have the 2018 Washington Capitals. Same thing, so did I. Let's go. There was three teams that I was going back and forth on for number five, and they were one of them, but they did not uh, make my cut. I actually had the 12 Kings uh, oh. at five, but you guys both had the Caps. Uh, Megan, what was it about that Caps team that just stood out to you? So, I mean, it's a pretty strong list, too, once we start talking about some of the other teams that ranked above them, but there were parallels to this last Avalanche team that we just watched um, in that they won after being bounced back-to-back uh, -back in the second round by the Pens, even though they had been the President Trophy winner the, those years before, too. So it was kind yeah. of a nice redemption arc for them to finally get that. Um, and then Braden Holtby was just an excellent goaltender in uh, that entire run in the Eastern Conference final. You know, mm -hmm. game six and seven, I think he had shutouts. And so it was just an overall good run. Um, goaltending kind of becomes a theme in some of these other ones, too, yeah. as being such a cool factor that made some of these runs really enjoyable to watch. And then, of course, getting Ovechkin the cup, mm -hmm. too, getting to see him win the cup in this era of Washington Caps hockey was kind of fulfilling to see a star finally get yeah. that accomplishment. Get over that hump. Um right. Yeah, the, the ISO cams on OV in the final were like some of my favorite things ever. Uh, AJ, the 17 caps? Yeah, so the the reason that I went with them, um, it's not that they were the most dominant team uh, or anything like that. It was really just the, the they overcame themselves, I thought, um, because mm -hmm. it wasn't just that they had lost in the second round. Um a couple of years before that but it went it went back deeper than that because they had uh so basically they draft Ovechkin they're bad they draft Ovechkin they're still kind of bad they get really good they hire Bruce Boudreaux they get really good and then they lose in the second round they have 100 point teams including a 121 point team uh, but they have 100-point teams that can't get out of the, the first two rounds. Okay, they go they go six years in a row where they either lose in the first or the second round. They miss the postseason. Then they have three second-round exits in a row. And then they win the Stanley Cup. And at the point where they had won the Stanley Cup, we had all given up. 
on yeah. the Caps being for real. They were yeah. we talked they were talked about like we talk about the Maple Leafs now. They're never gonna get over it. They're never gonna get over this hump. They just can't do it. This run is over. They had gone all in on multiple occasions. They had in their history, they had two 120 point teams. They had teams that had 121 and 120 points, as well as a 118 point team. Crazy. We're talking dominant all time great regular seasons. Three of like the top 15 best regular seasons ever belong to the Washington Capitals. Not a single one of those teams made it past the second round. And what I also think is kind of incredible is the path that they went through. Like you're talking about, okay, like beating Columbus. Sorry, Columbus, but who cares? Like, unless you were the lightning that one year, like beating Columbus is just like, okay. What I'm saying is like, it's not particularly meaningful. It wasn't like that was an incredible Blue Jackets team. You know, they finished fourth in their division that year. Right. So, okay. Uh, But then they do beat the Pens. Like, they exercise that demon. The second round and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Same time. These are two things that they have not been able to handle and get through. They get through the Pens. They win that thing. And Ovi Uh, gets past Crosby. Right, and like, like they get through this demon, this thing that like we we they just couldn't do it. Yeah, they couldn't find a way. They get through it, and then they they go up against what we know <laughs> a very very good Lightning group, mm-hmm. and they get through that they get through that series in seven games, and then they get obviously their their Cup Finals against that Miracle Vegas team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They dispatched them. Uh, they dispatched them pretty handily, four to one, uh, and they get their cup. They get their moment, and I have them. I have them here just because the the mental fortitude. The they, they finally broke through, mm-hmm. right? Like every single every single year, it was just like this is the year. This is the year. This is the year, and then people just gave up on them. Yeah, and the only ones who didn't give up was themselves, and maybe yeah. that made it easier. I don't know, but for them to get that cup, for Ovi to get his cup, and we'll always, I think we'll always look back at the Caps and say they probably should have done more with Ovi, Mm -hmm. but they got one, and they'd never done that before, and it's really hard to to nitpick an era in which you win a Stanley Cup. Right, right. Um, and, and, And I just think that that team deserves its kudos, not necessarily for being the the best of the best, but because the path and the history that they were going against and all the, the hurdles that they had to overcome, it was so tough. And the, if you remember that beginning, that, that you, Megan mentioned Braden Holpe. Braden Holpe wasn't even in their starter at the yep. beginning of that postseason. Philip Grubauer started the first couple of games of that series, got pulled, Holpe came in and never looked back and had an amazing mm-hmm. run. Well, and then Megan mentioned the paralyzed, parallels between that team uh, and and this year's Avs team, and I remember feeling the same way when Evgeny Kuznetsov scored in overtime to eliminate the Pens that I did when Darren Helm scored at the end of Game Six to knock out the Blues. I said they're they're not going to let this go. Like they, they can't lose now. You can't do that and then lose. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I definitely said. Like I said, they were one of the teams uh, that I was considering at five. I took. The, the the 12 kings um I, I had a hard time putting them any higher than fifth because they were an eight seed and it's hard to say that that's one of the most dominant teams but i remember so much about that team was everyone could kind of tell even at the beginning of the playoffs this wasn't your regular eight seed they had just made the trades uh to acquire jeff carter uh mike richards both of those guys really seemed to be finding their stride it was just that extra punch of scoring from jeff carter which is what felt like that team had been missing for so long. They were so solid defensively. They were boring. They had Jonathan quick, but they couldn't score. They get Jeff Carter. And then that was a dominant run as an eight, you know, forget eight seed, one seed, whatever. Uh, I think it was uh, a sweep two, four, four to ones. And then one, four to two, like just, it was, it was four, one, four, zero, four, one, four, two. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, so two four ones, uh, a sweep, and then a four two. Um, 
And, and I just remember watching that run. This is one of the few runs, you know, AJ, we were talking about how um, it's hard to keep an eye on all this stuff and especially like keep all of this Rolodex in your, in your brain. But, but I do just remember watching that Kings team play and they just had that look in almost every game where you're like, yeah, I don't really even need to watch this. They're going to win. You couldn't score on Jonathan quick. Um, 20 games played a 948 save percentage. Uh, you know, just, just unbelievable. And that was one of the more dominant playoff runs I can remember. Uh, and then you factor in the fact that it's an eight seed. Uh, they had to knock off the one, two and three in consecutive rounds. So, Kind of like, uh, you know, what AJ was saying for the Caps, that was the similar reason why I put this Kings team there. Um, it was their run in the playoffs that was just so dominant and and so impressive. Uh, I also have the 12 Kings on my list. Do, should I just talk about them now? or? Uh, yeah, might as well, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so I've got, I've got them at two, um, oh, wow. and that's because – that was the team, if you go back and you actually look and you remember that season, and I know it was 10 years ago, so it's tough to. That was a that was a dominant regular season team that was on the worst side of puck luck for about <laughs> four months. They basically couldn't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't do anything right. And then all of a sudden, the second half of the season, all of their underlying metrics clicked into place. They were they they had a almost a fifty-five percent course of five v five that year. Uh, they were, they they were a team that absolutely deserved uh, higher than the eighth seed that they got. They were yeah. exceptional defensively. They yeah. got an unbelievable year out of Jonathan Quick, and then they rolled into the postseason and all they were firing on all cylinders when they got there. And yeah. as you had mentioned at the very end of what you were just talking about, they took out all three division winners. They go 4-1 over Vancouver. They embarrass St. Louis and go 4-0. And then they go 4-1 over the best Coyotes team that they've ever put together. Mm-hmm. And got through – they got – they got. it's funny to say now, but they got through Mike Smith that year. And that was the year Mike Smith was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for those guys, uh, Jonathan Quick was just up to the task uh, because his, his po- postseason performance – was the stuff of like the stuff of ages. Seriously. He put up a 946 save percentage in 20 playoff games, had 17 quality starts out of 20. That's <laughs> incredible. Somehow That's only only three shutouts but a 1.41 goals against average. That's the number like, that's wild. Like we're talking about an absolute unbelievable playoff run from Jonathan Quick. That was a dominant dominant playoff run because the the teams that they had to beat they lost two two games to the worst team that they had to play in new jersey (laughs) yeah and that was uh, i i will totally understand if people want to put them lower on a list because they were not fun to watch they played brutal slow down physical low event hockey that was just offensive to all sensibilities but in terms of effectiveness and how they how good they were for me i have them at number two in in that time yeah. they were they were a, the buzzsaw of buzzsaws and i would put them up against all the other teams in my top five except for the one except for who i have at one well and, and then you know to your point about they were they were boring and slow and then they added jeff carter and that wrist shot and that release and it just, it, you went from being boring and slow. And especially in that 2012 year, I, I don't remember him like filling the net, but he was, it was just, it was boring, slow. Jonathan Quick was standing on his head. And then suddenly Jeff Carter went the other way and would just snap one by a goalie. And it was like, that's what this team had been missing. Cause to the point you made AJ, like the, they weren't, they weren't a regular eight seed. That, that wasn't your standard eight seed team. Um, but, but yeah, so that was a, that's a run that I pretty clearly uh, remember watching because it, it was just so dominant uh, for the, uh, for the Kings. Megan, anything to add on number five or are we good to move on? No, no, no. I, they were in the mix for consideration on my list. Um, that was an era of hockey too, where there were teams that I just really didn't like. 
Um, yeah. And that was one that I just really didn't like. However, Quick and Kopitar endeared themselves to me. I was able to overcome those feelings and enjoy that playoff run. So yeah. they're definitely Dominic in the Quick. Uh, I'm going to say something here that might be slightly controversial. That was the era where I had a really hard time rooting for the U.S. in best-on-best best tournaments just because a lot of the players that played for the U.S., you know, I, I just they, they were they just terrorized the Avs. But Jonathan yeah. Quick was one of the guys that made those USA teams from 2010 to 2014 so fun to root for because he he was he was just that good. Um, all right, before we keep rolling along, rolling along, excuse me, do want to remind you guys this is the DNVR Avalanche podcast uh, brought to you by our good friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. They are the official beer of DNVR. You know, we have all their beers on tap. We have the regular seltzers. We are getting closer to the uh, reopening of the DNVR bar, uh, as is with any type of construction, remodel, anything. The date is fluid, but we are barreling closer to getting that back going as football season is ramping up. So make sure to come on down. You know, we will have all those there for you to try. Uh, the good, com- good Company Hard Seltzers. They got the Lemonade Seltzers. Avalanche Amber Ale, the Juice Drop IPA, Summer Pill Shandy, Strawberry Sky, Vanilla Porter Jr. Just take your pick. Uh, they've got something for everyone. Use that Breck Beer locator at breckbrew.com to find out where uh, Breck Brew is being sold near you. Head on down, pick that stuff up, uh, let us know. And again, once you get back down to the DNVR bar 2.0, make sure you stop in, get some of their delicious beer and seltzers. We'll have that beer on tap also brought to you guys uh by one of my favorite sponsors athletic greens uh it's a product that we have we have rolled in uh hannah and i my fiance we've rolled into our daily weekly routine uh megan and i were just kind of going on and on about them yesterday uh on yesterday's show look i people that know me i'm i i can be a little bit picky and be choosy with what i like i don't like stuff that's super you know raw green earthy tasting you could have just stopped earlier in that sentence that i don't like stuff i just don't like stuff thanks for watching guys um (laughs) but honestly you know uh hannah hannah mixes the athletic greens powder into her smoothies you just drop it into a, a a glass of water megan was drinking it yesterday on the show like just for funsies it's not gritty it's not grainy uh you know it doesn't the 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 natural earthy taste isn't overwhelming uh, and it really does. It helps you feel better. Uh, AJ, I think you and I are on the same page on this. I'm not a coffee person. Uh, so I always look for ways to like kind of get the boost, uh, in the morning where most people drink coffee. Uh, AG has, uh, ha- has done that for me. 75 high quality vitamins. They got minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, uh, all in just one little scoop of powder. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash avalanche again. That's athleticgreens.com slash avalanche to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Jesse, AJ, Megan here on the DNBR Avalanche podcast brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Makeup show. Uh, we were supposed to bring you guys uh, this episode on Monday, but we were like, well, we just like everyone so much. We'll give them a nice weekend show. <laughs> uh, number four, AJ, uh, who did you have at four on your list? Uh, of the best cup winners over the last 12 years. Uh, so this is where I had the uh, uh, 16 Penguins. Ah, all right, yes. Uh, because that too. was... Me too. That was that was the team that Mike Sullivan took over halfway through. And yep. as soon as he did, they were just like, hey, guys, we're unstoppable. And they were, <laughs> they were great. Um, and I... I think the what made it different for me, and this is going to be where uh, I move away from some of the numbers and I get into the feels category of it, but mm-hmm. watching this team felt inevitable mm-hmm. when they played. They got contributions from everybody. Like, you go, that was the year that Phil Kessel probably should have won the Con Smythe. Uh, he was incredible for them yeah. uh, in that run. And I think the only reason that he didn't get the con smite is because hockey writers just didn't love Phil Kessel at the time, um, which is 
a pretty good argument as to why do we have that kind of power, but <laughs> also, who else gonna do it, suckas? Right. <laughs> um, but you like you go back and you look at that group and you look at the the success that they had in the postseason, and they didn't have anybody that was a point per game player. Um, none of their big guys. Phil Phil Castle was the closest at twenty two points in twenty four games, mm-hmm. but Crosby, Malkin, Nick Bonino, and Carl Hagelin are in their top five scores with. Chris Letang and then Hornquist and Kunitz and Shiri after that. But that was kind of the thing. Like Brian Rust is 10th on that team in scoring and he scored six goals. Matt Cullen had four goals in that run. Eric Fair had three goals in that run. Like you are you and two of those two of those were game winners. Same with Matt Cullen. So you're talking about a lineup, and this was this was kind of what was wrong or or what 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 made me kind of think about this year's abs team was that great you might have survived the best players but then you're getting killed by guys like carl Hagelin every night Mm -hmm. a carl Hagelin or a chris kunitz or a connor somebody was providing that death blow and they got it from all throughout that lineup uh it wasn't so much that they were dominant uh, but it was it was also like they played three goaltenders in that yeah. in that run. Like Jeff Zatkoff started two games for them in yeah. that in that postseason, and it just didn't matter. They just kept rolling. Like mm-hmm. they get through the Rangers, they get through the Caps, they go seven against the Lightning, and this is the team that beat the Sharks in the Cup final. And I remember watching I remember watching that series and just thinking. Oh my God, this Sharks team, which I have believed for a long time, these guys are amazing. And they just got run through. They just looked slow. They didn't look like they were overly competitive. And like, it was a 4-2 series uh, with, with multiple overtime games. So it wasn't like... It wasn't like like Pittsburgh like dominated them or anything. That would not be fair to say, but, no, but... it it definitely like just physically like just watching the games. And I I don't think I can uh, I have not I certainly did not go back and dig up fancy stats on it. But just watching those games, you just felt like Pittsburgh's got this. Like but they you... they look like they've been here and they they played with that kind of purpose. And the Sharks just look like they got swallowed up by the moment a bit. You use the term inevitable, and that was how it felt when they knocked off a 120-point Caps team in the second round. It just felt like the Pens were going to win. And then for me, it was the same way in the Cup Final. That was a good Sharks team. It's not there's anything wrong with them. They just – it looked like the Pens were going were gonna to knock them off. I don't have anything to add. I, I think you summed up that um, 16 Pens team perfectly. I also had them at number four. Megan, who'd you have at four on your list? I had uh, the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks. This Penn team was um, one that was sort of tied for my fifth place ranking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have much to add other than Bo Bennett is a Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> I'm kidding. More more seriously, I do love what this meant for Sidney Crosby. A couple years removed from his concussion issues that he was able to come back from those issues and win a Stanley Cup and then continue to have the success that he's had as a player. I was really happy for him. Also yeah. their second cup of that era. So it really kind of validated that like, like, Hey, like this was not just a one time mm-hmm. we got our cup and we got out of Dodge. Like it is for a lot of them, you know, like the OV caps. Um, I guess you could say the Bergeron Bruins, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of them get the one cup because it's really hard to win cups, but this was the Penns team. Uh, they got that second cup and it was just like, damn. You know, and we know they went on to have the they, to get that third one where you're like, all right, well, now that's the standard you're trying to get to is Chicago and Pittsburgh each had three cups in their like stars, like windows. Um, that's that's now the benchmark. It, you know, Tampa Bay still using that. Yeah. Uh, so, Megan, you said uh, the 13 Hawks uh, were, were your pick at four. I, I just I remember the game six of the cup final so clearly i remember where i was sitting what i was doing um 
when they scored those two goals in whatever it was, 12 seconds, 14 seconds, seconds. 17 seconds. Um, Again, this was the second cup for that group and really just kind of started solidifying uh, some, some dominance there. Is there anything in particular that kind of jumps out to you about that 13 team, Megan? It was the continued success from the start of that 2010 team being able to, with salary cap constraints, in tinkering with the team, be able to continue being a dominate, dominant team three years removed from that first win. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to segue that right. We'll move on to number three. I'm going to go to my number three. My three was actually the 15 Hawks for a lot of those same uh, reasons. And, and you just, you run through the roster of that, that team slash those teams. And I love the point that you made that, with the salary cap, with the way that it was, part of the reason what made, for me, those Pens teams, or excuse me, those Hawks teams, and then later the Pens, so remarkable was with all these cap constraints, teams falling all over themselves to try to keep guys around, to bring in impact players, to, to find a goaltender, whatever, that over six years, that Blackhawks team just found a way to not only keep their guys together, but I mean like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Marion Hosa, Patrick Sharp were your top five scorers in that playoff run. And those are all, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what AJ was just saying about the pens there, even though it's kind of the same thing as you go down, but like their stars just couldn't be contained that year in in 15. And and to the same extent in 13 or to, to a same extent, uh, in, in 2013. Um, and then again, you, you skip down a few names there and there's Brendan Saad. There's Brent Seabrook, uh, Seabrook. Tavo Teravainen was on that team. Um, you know, that was the year that, or no, I think Brian Bickle had his, he went nuts in 2013, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but, but, you know, so it was just, it was such an impressive group for them to continue to roll out there. The high end players were so high end. Um, that, that 15 team for me, the third cup for a lot of the same reasons that you just listed for why you had them, at, uh, the 13 team at, at four, uh, Megan, uh, why I've got the 15 team at three. It was memorable too, because of the lockout year for me, the 2013, I was hungry for hockey and this was such yeah. a peak era of hockey for me as becoming a new fan invested in the sport now a couple years in that I was Mm -hmm. just hungry for hockey so this storyline was fun to follow too for that reason yeah uh AJ who'd you have at three uh I also had the 13 Hawks oh nice okay uh yeah do you want to just go on some Hawks a bit bring it on home they they, they (laughs) went 36 7 and 5 in that shortened season like I just remembered. Now I feel silly because that was a team that started whatever it was twenty, like twenty two zero and two or whatever. Yeah, and then got smoked in Denver. <laughs> I wow. remember uh, that. It's like one of yeah. the bright spots for Colorado at the time. Like we did it. Yeah, yeah. it was twenty one zero and three. Jeez, dude. And then the Avs blew them out six to two. Yeah. I remember that was, I remember being in the building for that. And that was one of the most people talk about. And I think everyone way, way over exaggerates what it actually is with the way that visiting fans. And it's not just ball arena. It's Coors field. It's, it's, you know, whatever. Um, But that, that game in particular is one of the few games where I actually feel like the people who say that the crowd was, split 50 50 that game is one of them and i just remember it being so cool that the abs ran them out of the building and nine thousand hawks fans left pissed yeah uh also that postseason run uh they came back from a 3-1 series deficit to beat detroit hmm. uh in what i think was the last time detroit was in the west i think Oh yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then they did beat a very good LA Kings team um, in in that next round, and then they survived a, like a really, really, really hard fought final 
against Boston. Um, three of those games uh, went to overtime, and uh, two of them were one-goal games, uh, essentially one-goal games. So it uh, that was a, it was a really really close. Uh, it was a really close series, and they were just that dominant um, that they, you know, they got down to Detroit, they climb all the way back, and then they just go, they, they just got into that groove, um, mm-hmm. and then it just seemed like every time they needed, like, that big moment, they found it. And it's a thing, it's a thing that you get to, uh, you you start to see in teams that win Stanley Cups, they win overtime games. Uh, when they get into those extra sessions, they don't do a lot of losing. It's not it's not usually luck, but it's 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 one of those things that you do start to see. What's a common thread here is that if you give these teams extra opportunities, they beat you. Yeah. Uh, and that that Hawks team was like that, and they were just some of the reason I have them here is because their regular season was so dominant. Yeah. Um, they were second in goals for. They were first in goals against. Uh, like thirty six, seven and five. Like Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I forgot about what a dominant regular season it was that they had. I feel like a silly goose for not having them on here. Yeah, they they were just um, uh, they were they were an absolute powerhouse, and then it slowed a little bit in the postseason, which is why I have them behind the Kings because mm-hmm. that Kings postseason was just that dominant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's my two through four. Yeah. Or two Megan, five. Uh, who who'd you have at three? Uh oh, I was sort of torn between my my three and two. Um, so they're kind of equal to me. So. So go ahead and just give them both, because then I'll give my two and. Okay, and maybe there's there's a way to yeah. leverage these. I'm giving props to the like 2019-2020 Tampa Bay team. And then the 2010-2011 Bruins. And I mm. that has a little bit of height in my mind because of what it meant to me as a hockey fan watching the Bruins. I know it's almost controversial to have liked the Bruins as much as I did that year. But they were sort of the adopted team that I had taken on at the start mm-hmm. of that season. So seeing them uh, finish that out was really meaningful to me as a fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off for two seconds just to interject. I was also rooting really hard for the Bruins that year. Uh, my buddy Harry, who you guys have met, he's Canadian and he was like beside himself wanting the Canucks to win to see Canada get a cup back. And so like our little group of friends just were kind of like, well, we don't want to see Canada get a cup. So we watched all seven of those games together and <laughs> he's he's like a diehard Maple Leafs fan. And he was like torn up after that game seven. Cause he thought like Vancouver you know, was, yeah, yeah, dude, no kidding. But so I'm with you. I was rooting for the Bruins uh, in 11 as well. And then you said the, uh, the 20 bolts, correct? Yes. That's actually who I had it too. That may, okay. That, that's actually, that feels good then. Um, kind of similar reasons to what we said about the Blackhawks for the lightning team, that it's just kind of, it marks the beginning of what has become a dynasty team for the lightning. Um, and they were previously swapped in the first round by the blue jackets. And then they go on to win a cup the next year. It's just, yeah. it's a, the beginning of something special for Tampa there. That that's that run for Tampa. Couple reasons why I put them there. One, it's the same kind of theme that we've talked about. Uh, with a couple of these teams, the caps, uh, that the 16 pens where you were watching them in that bubble run and they just weren't going to lose. It felt inevitable that they were just going to roll over whatever's in their path. And then they get the easy, their easiest matchup two years in a row comes in the cup final. Um, but that losing to that jackets team the year before they just, it felt like they were on a mission. And then part of the reason I put them there was because I thought the level that they played at coming back from the COVID, I don't even necessarily know if you call that a COVID pause. I mean, multi-month stoppage um, for them to jump back in, in the circumstances that the players were put in, in the bubble. Um, I, I just remember that being uh, a, a really impressive 
really impressive run. And then Andre Vasilevsky had a, a, a stat line similar to the Tim Thomas uh, 11, the Jonathan Quick 12. Uh, you know, he was in that, in that realm. Uh, all right. Before we uh, get to our ones, anybody else have anything? Good yeah, I thought that that 2011 Bruins team was mad overrated. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Loved the final series. Like, the yeah. that that Stanley Cup finals, one of my favorites that I've watched in my lifetime. It was a great um, It was, like, the games weren't particularly good uh, because they were, like, the, the swings were so <laughs> back and forth. Like, you remember, they go back. So, Vancouver has a 2-0 lead. They go back to Boston. And Boston wipes the floor with them <laughs> in three and four. Like those two games were not remotely close. And you're like, what the hell is this series? Yeah. And yeah. then they go back to Vancouver for game five. Vancouver wins that game one to nothing <laughs> after Boston scored 12 goals in the previous two games. Yeah. Uh, they won to nothing. And then they go back to Boston. And once again, Boston just blows them out. And you're like, Okay, so the home team just wins, and then Boston rolled in in Game Seven. Yeah. Um, so for me, I just I but I I thought that that Bruins team like totally earned the cup, <laughs> but they had to win three Game Sevens to get there. And so when we're talking about like dominant runs and great run, this and that, miss me with that one. I'm not. Uh, you win See? three game. You got to win three Game Sevens. Full respect, you have absolutely earned your cup. But in historical context, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not here for that. I want. I want <laughs> actual dominant teams that aren't playing in game sevens. They broke a 39 year cup drought. I feel like that's historically memorable. <laughs> it was for the city of Boston. It's not historically memorable for the hockey for for hockey See, dominance. I I actually they were one of my teams that I was arguing with myself. For, for number five and literally so much of it was Tim Thomas and the way he played on that run. Cause I, I actually agree with a lot of what you're saying, AJ about the team in general. And to me, that is what made what Tim, that's what made what Tim Thomas did so special. It was, was insane out of nowhere. This guy right. is 36 years old. Right. What right. in the fucking hell is this? What's going on? This this lent lent credence to the belief that if you were that good, you could just pull a team off the street. Mm -hmm. And like they were exceptional defensively. That Bruins team was exceptional defensively, uh, which which helped Thomas. But Thomas was also like I mean, come on, a nine forty. Like golly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and to your last thing on this, to that point, nine forty having to go to game seven, three times, like uh, some of these other goals we talked about, you know, Jonathan Quick, Vasilevsky, you're talking four or five fewer games. Um, and that's not a ton, but the, the stat line for Tim Thomas that year was, uh, was pretty wild before we get to our number ones. Uh, do want to just remind you guys about FOCO. Look, we're talking about champs and champions and Stanley cups and all kinds of stuff. Uh, go on over uh, to FOCO, they have all of the Stanley Cup final uh, memorabilia, Stanley Cup champion, uh, bobbleheads, hats, shirts, all kinds of good stuff. You can keep the celebration going with officially licensed 2022 Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup merchandise from FOCO. Uh, the collection features everything from apparel, like I said, hats, shirts, accessories to collectibles like bobbleheads, plush toys. Um, they had had on their... Uh, kind of like the tease for the Kale McCarr con Smythe bobblehead. There's an actual photo of it now. Uh, so you can go over there and check it out. Really cool. Uh, I hadn't, I've never seen a bobble. I've seen Stanley cup bobbleheads. I've never seen the Kale McCarr with the con Smythe one. So it looks really cool. Uh, head on over to foco.com or click the link in the YouTube description for all non presale items. Use the promo code DNVR for 10% off. Uh, and Go get your, your Av Stanley Cup merchandise. It's selling out all over the place. Uh, head on over to FOCO and pick some up now. 
Also want to talk to you guys about Ivaca TV. Look, there's been some stuff sw swirling around uh, the Twitter sphere the last couple days that with some of these court rulings, we may not be seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for at least two years in terms of uh, Altitude and Comcast. So shortcut all of that, head on over to Ivaca and not have to worry about any of the Comcast Altitude stuff ever again. Uh, they have Altitude. They've got AT&T Sportsnet plus a ton of other national channels. So really, you're covered for Avs, Nuggets, Broncos, Rockies, Rapids, everybody. You can get all of your Colorado sports teams with Ivaca, and it's only $25 a month plus a $5 receiver. Right now, Colorado sports fans can get $10 off per month for the first three months. Uh, so that's $15 a month for your first three months. To get that deal, go to ivaca.tv slash Colorado 10. That's evoca.tv, E-V-O-C-A.tv slash Colorado 10. No contracts, nothing like that. And you get that superior video quality to watch it all. Go get set up with Ivaca in time for next season. Uh, get abs, nuggets all year long. Don't have to worry about any of the streams. Am I going to get this channel? What do I have to do to hook it up? Nope. Get Ivaca, turn it on, watch the game. All right, we are down to our number ones here. DNBR Avalanche Podcast. Jesse, Megan, AJ, we're ranking our top five Stanley Cup champions from the last 12 years. Uh, I went with Megan first last time. So AJ, who do you have at number one? Who do you think is the best team to win the Stanley Cup going all the way back to 2010? I mean, it's obviously the 2019 Blues. I mean, they were just an absolute <laughs> powerhouse and... Ryan, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly's headed to Hall of Fame and Jordan Bennington, just that level of, of greatness and the way that big-ass giraffe neck wobbled back and forth in front of all those pucks. I mean, just a, just a, just a truly incredible run uh, and something that should be cherished all as, as one of the all-time greats. Uh, Megan was so outraged by what you were saying. She just bailed. Yeah, she couldn't handle it. I understand. <laughs> I understand not everybody was ready for the truth, but I was you I was like, here to bring it heat. today. <laughs> Don't want the heat. Yeah, I mean, obviously mm. it's the 2022 Avalanche. Like, give me a break. <laughs> uh, that uh, they got nine oh what nine oh four goaltending in twenty games and won the Stanley Cup going away. Yeah, like they they absolutely they they absolutely like. I, I don't even it should have been it should have been three losses. They gave a game away. Yeah. Uh and then you look at the other lot, like they lost one one game. They got pretty much outplayed start to finish, and that's game two against St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, well, I guess uh the, the game three in Tampa Bay where they got blown out was I'll give them those two losses. I'll give that yeah. one to them. I, I would say they were more competitive in that game three in Tampa than they were game two in St. Louis. Not they weren't competitive, but they felt like they were at least in the one in Tampa for a little bit longer than they were the one in St. Louis. Well, I mean the St. Louis game, it was, it was a one goal game into the third period. So, you know, they, you could have dreamed on it. Uh, anyway, the, like those are two games that they lost. They give the other one, to, they, they give away the one game and then they lose with six minutes to go, game five, uh, when they could have won that cup. Yeah. Uh, the game five loss in Denver to St. Louis is always going to be like this weird, like, dagger that, that all, like, makes all of us uncomfortable because that should have been Nathan McKinnon's, like, yeah. moment. And had they won that game, I genuinely wonder does he have a stronger case for the Con Smythe? Right. Uh, because it felt like by the time we got to it, it was pretty obviously Kale McCarr. But who drove the bus in game six in Tampa Bay? Who scores who scores the goal yeah. and then gets an assist on the game winner? It's freaking Nathan McKinnon. Mm -hmm. Nathan, Nathan McKinnon just – it was – what was crazy about Colorado's run, they were offensively dominant. They were defensively dominant to the point where their poor goaltending didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. – and then when they absolutely had to have it, when they had to get the good goaltending, when it had to be there, they got it. Yeah. Game both game five and game six, Darcy Kemper's good. Yeah. You know, the game five 
look, game five, he gives up the Jan Ruda goal to, to, to start it. But for the really the rest of the series, he was good from that moment on. Uh, you can't even, I, I even if you wanted to call the Stamkos goal in game six soft, you know, but so what? He gives up one. Like, <laughs> the Avs the abs got that goaltending when they needed it, but they were also defensively dominant. You watch game, if you watch game six, the Avs start out on their back heels, uh, and they, they start out in a huge deficit, and then they just dominated. Once that, yeah. once they got to about the 15 minute mark of the first period and the abs really started to settle in it wasn't it it, it was abs from that moment on mm-hmm. and when they got the 2-1 lead they never really went back they they never looked back it never really got tight again uh they and and if you go through the postseason like that abs team had a plus 30 goal differential in the playoffs <laughs> like they were <laughs> They blew teams out on a regular basis in the postseason, including maybe the most dominant single Stanley Cup final game that we have ever seen yeah. in modern NHL history yeah. in game two. And they and they did it to it, it, the one thing that pushes me over why this is better than the Kings run, because they did it to the lightning. Right. They didn't do it to the weak ass New Jersey Devils who slipped out of a bad East. Yeah, they, they did know, it to the a Kings, team that was trying to three-peat. The Kings, the Kings had an incredible run in the in twelve where they beat those three division winners, which I again I've already talked about why I have them at two, but what pushed the abs ahead was their level of actual in-game dominance. Yeah. They didn't need a 930 goaltender. Yeah. They yeah. and and when they did, like they didn't need it for the entire run, but in the couple of games that they needed it, they got it. Yeah. And yeah. I just, that's such a different, I, I don't know, that team, I i don't know how you look back on this abs team and not just be like, we might have underappreciated them a little bit. Right. Because um, it's, it's hard to appreciate all-time greatness when it's right in front of you and it's happening. Yeah. But I think, I think we're going to look back on this Avalanche championship run and just be like, I mean, come on. Look at it. the teams. It wasn't that the teams that they beat were so incredible. You know, that, that Nashville team had no chance whatsoever. Uh, that Blues team was really good. That Oilers team was pretty good. And then the Lightning were awesome. But <sighs> their, their level of dominance is really what pushes me over because that that the the goal differential step blows me away that they they had a higher goal differential in the postseason than like half the teams in the NHL did in the regular season right right well and and you look back at a lot of these teams we've talked about and they either, you know, they had a good regular season, but they were, you know, they were kind of ramping up and then they got in and, and their, their goalies got hot. They went on a run. This thing went really well for them, whatever, whatever. This Avs team, starting at game 11, and even the first 10 games weren't that bad. They just felt bad because the expectations were so high. Game 11 through game six of the Stanley Cup final, it just felt consistent. It felt like clockwork. They showed up. They dominated. They controlled play. They scored goals, and they went home, and everyone was happy. And it just felt like that never wavered in the postseason. You have goalies leaving series halfway through, getting you know sticks in the eye. You have goalies coming in, coming back out. Uh, you, you lose a top four defenseman, and just nothing changed. Nothing changed around that team. There was just so much consistency and, and I just don't know, you know, I, they could have made the cup final 20 game series. And I just don't think the lightning would have ever stood a chance. Um, Megan, did you have someone different at one? No, I had the abs. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I do. And, and I know we're in an abs show. We're a Colorado pod, but this is another one of those things where I, I think you would be hard pressed to find maybe outside of like the locked on blues podcast. Um, 
any show, any writers that wouldn't have this year's uh, Avalanche as at least a top one or two team in this same conversation. I mean, I I would say anybody that had this Avs team outside of the top five shouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And really, like, you would have to make a passion, an impassioned argument to put them outside of the top three. Yeah. Because I just don't know how you do it. But for the record, that that Kings team had a plus 27 goal differential. So similar level of dominance there. Uh, But again, I mean... Also, for the for the Kings fan that's in our comment section and says that what makes the Kings run better is they weren't supposed to make the, the Stanley Cup, let alone the playoffs. Uh, that's bullshit. I went back and looked it up. Uh, that team's preseason odds, while they were at plus 1,600 to win the Stanley Cup, their over-under in the preseason was 102 points. Nah. <laughs> uh, and the plus 1,600 had them as the ninth as the they were tied for ninth best odds to win the stanley cup that year uh so they were they were widely viewed like they were widely viewed as a not just a playoff team but a team that was capable of winning a stanley cup that was in contention yeah Yeah. um and again my my one other thing not taking anything away from that 2012 team honestly this show in my head, I, I, I've kind of like mentally moved them up my list. AJ, you've sold me on them. Um, but again, like remove, not even remove, just take the all world elite goaltending and take it down to great goaltending. And it, it just changes the way that that run looks a lot because that wasn't a team that they were so solid defensively and the offense always needed to come that, if you don't get almost 950 goaltending from Jonathan Quick, is that team as dominant? And the Avs showed the Avs swept the Western Conference Finals with their backup goalie. A thing that I think should like should not escape the conversation. I'm glad you did bring it up because to me, someday when I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> And they're asking me what I remember in life. It's going to be that the Avs beat the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid with Pavel Francouz in net. Yeah. Swept. Like, girl, please. Yeah. Uh, Megan, anything else to add on this uh, this 22 Avs team? It just, we've talked about some incredible teams in these lists. And this team just touched on a lot of the different things we've pulled as being reasons for these other teams being competitive and it's the roster construction in a cap era. Like this is an avalanche team that the year before faced so much disappointment, but was constructed so well. And they were able to maintain the heart of what made this team, what it is, keep that identity and become competitive and win a Stanley cup in the next year. It's coaching, you know, Jared Bednar. I I remember the fire Bednar narrative (laughs) so well, and it results in a Stanley cup in the end after some of the worst avalanche hockey that we've seen and him coming into a team under less than desirable conditions. And then it's injuries too. A lot of people from other teams talk about this run and they talk about the injuries that their team was facing and the avalanche were riddled with injuries. It's a dominant regular season that commanded league-wide attention finally to this avalanche team. And it's even something small like Bowen Byron's career being in the balance and coming back and being such a key player in this playoff run. It's a little bit of everything. It touches on every storybook narrative you could think of. And that's why it remains the top for me. Well, what you just said there is so funny because there's so many things that we talked about as we were kind of running through our list. I was like, oh yeah, that that little piece is kind of like this Avs team too. This Avs team, it really does. It feel like they just took so many of the components of a lot of the great runs that we talked about with the exception of like elite all-world goaltending, which is so funny because pretty much every other team we listed won the cup on the back of like all-world goaltending. And they took every other element. It was like, cool, if we do all of this, we just need good goaltending. And that's exactly what played out. Great point. Um, AJ, Megan, any final thoughts on this or just anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, I think um, all of this just sets up for the for the twenty three Avs to be the best ever, dude. I mean, look, fun summer the, pot. The, the Hawks and the Pens 
or two teams we talked about a lot, and both those teams, the their later cup winning teams were the ones that made this list. So theoretically, just keep building on it. Uh, cool. All right. Oh, also, I would like to. Uh, I would also just like to add that I thought both of those uh, Tampa Bay Lightning teams were overrated. I thought you had one. Oh. <laughs> I I don't know. I I thought they were. That was another one that felt like destined to me. Like these teams. I mean, we, I think we listed three different times they lost in the East Final, like in the years leading up to it. Um, no, honestly, their their run has been. <laughs> it's if you go and you look at like their franchise success, uh, over the last I don't even know like fifteen years. That mm. that organization, like that fan base, is so supremely fucking spoiled, dude. It's nuts. Like they missed the they missed the post they've missed the postseason a couple of times, but it's like oh, there's a random conference final appearance here. Oh, since 2015, they've lost in the cup final, lost in the uh, conference finals, missed the playoffs, lost in the conference finals, then that devastating first round loss, then they win two Stanley Cups and then lose in a cup final. Like it's just it's just an unbelievable run. Yeah. Uh where it's over now. Uh they've taken a really big step back this offseason and we'll never think about them again because uh the abs put the put the dagger in their little wannabe dynasty. So fuck you, Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and as much I mean, I took him in the first round of our starting six draft the other day, as much of a fan as I am of of Vassy and how much I believe in him. Uh, I think I agree with you, AJ. I mean, it's it's going to be tough for him to continue to drag that team back there uh, after the amazing run that they've already that they've already been on. Yeah, I mean, in reality, those Lightning teams are incredible. I'm just talking shit. No, no, no. But but I mean, <laughs> I get where I get where you come. I just from. had a I had a I just had a Bolts fan in my mentions today that was just so upset about a tweet that I made yesterday, and <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. I'm still just enjoying the fact that the abs won that Stanley Cup and Tampa Bay didn't. Yep. Can't ever change it. For Megan and AJ, I'm Jesse Montano. Thank you guys so much for listening on our Saturday show. Nothing for you guys tomorrow. We'll be right back at it with Rudo back in the regular driver's seat so you don't have to listen to so much of me on Monday. Thank you guys all so much for listening and uh, enjoy your weekend. <laughs>